like, oh, my gosh, I thought I liked camping, but I might like it better at the hotel. So I'm with you guys. If you're in that boat, there's a time for the hotel and there's a time for camping. That's what I learned uh, on this experience. And I noticed we didn't have any announcements today, so I just announced the marriage retreat. That's going to be November 5th through 7th. You can put that on your calendars. And then this week we're having our women's midweek here at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. So probably the shortest announcements in history there were already done. But today I'm excited to talk, continue our series, Better Together, and talking about building together. It's better when we build God's church together. And we're going to be looking a little bit in the book of Nehemiah. And you can go back and read the whole book. I'm not going to have a chance to cover all of it today. But just a few thoughts as I was reading and looking at and praying about Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3 that relate to us here. And uh, welcome to everybody who's online visiting us here, too. I know we have a lot of our church there, so hello to you as well. So turn over to Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. And my first point is just a little faith will do when you're starting to build. Just a little faith will do. Sometimes you think that the greatest things in the Bible happen by the most impressive leaders or the most amazing people, but a lot of times they really didn't. So let's look over here in Nehemiah chapter 2. We'll jump right into it. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you were not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And this is the scene right after Nehemiah talks to one of the remnant that comes back from Jerusalem and he asked him about the city and how it's doing. And he goes in and describes the the gates burn with fire and how it's a disgrace. And, and it really wasn't a new problem. It was in ruins for about 70 years. But for whatever reason, it really hit him on this time. And I love that his, you can see that he isn't the most courageous person at the beginning of this. It says he was very much afraid. You know, sometimes we think that to do anything for God, we got to be strong, we got to be bold, we got to be confident, we got to have that power of Christ just going through us. But here, he looks more like a normal person. You know, you look, there's other stories in the Bible like Gideon, who is one of the judges, and he says to, to the person, he was the youngest person in his family, and his tribe was the least of all the tribes of Israel. That he did, Gideon did his bold deeds at night because he didn't want to go out in the middle of the day because he might be seen by others. And you think about David, the mighty king of Israel. When Samuel came to pick a king, he got all the sons out there and, and 
He asked the father, "Is there any? You have any more sons?" He said, "No, that's all of them, right there, all six of them." He says, "You sure you don't have any more sons?" He's like, "Oh yeah, I got one other one. He's out there with the sheep. He's the young one, but you know, he's not anything." And yet, God picked the one who even his father forgot. He wasn't even counted worthy to be even in the the choosing process. You know, you think about Moses, someone that was wandering and taking care of sheep for 40 years before God used him, probably in his 60s or above. That you don't think that he's going to be this strong leader. He's already, you know, middle-aged. You know, Mary at 13 years old. I love the fact that God doesn't need a big, powerful person. He just needs someone with a little bit of faith. Just a little bit of faith. When the king asked him, what is it you want? He was ready. He said, I want you to rebuild the city. I want you to send us back. I want you to protect us with your army. And guess what? I want you to pay for it too. I mean, he had a passion, but just a little bit of faith. And you might think that a cupbearer is impressive, but he really wasn't. Most people think that anybody who worked with the, within the council of the, the king and queen were, could, could have been eunuchs at the time. And so he was kind of ostracized. He wasn't very impressive, possibly, and yet God used him. And my question to us is sometimes we want to see, we look to other people to make a big difference when maybe God is looking to you and me. You know, we look to some great church leader that they're going to inspire us and they're going to just do this great thing. And yeah, leaders, they, they need to lead. But maybe God is looking to you and your little mustard seed that he says can move a mountain. It's such a different feel when we're coming to church and we're looking around and saying, okay, I hope you inspire me today. Or you go to your small group and you go, man, I hope my small group leader just inspires me or gives me some kind of direction and Nehemiah just had a talk with his friend and was super disturbed probably had weeks of just thinking about it and praying about it and and God used him and so even good for us to think about how is my faith do I have just a little bit of faith Plus, something that I am disturbed about, God could do a great miracle. God could use you to change our entire community because of your faith in him. Because of your heart, your, your desire to want his name to be lifted up. So just a little bit of faith. Do you have a little bit of faith today, church? Do you have a mustard seed? What could God do with that mustard seed of faith? Maybe it'll start today. Maybe it'll hit you this week. Maybe it's already hit you. Maybe you've prayed the same prayer over and over, something you're disturbed about, and God's trying to get your attention to to lead you a certain way. Sometimes when God calls, we don't listen. I've had that happen to me so many times. Spending time with God, and I get an idea, and I get all excited about it, and then I kind of forget about it. And then years later, I have another idea, and guess what? It's the same idea that I had like five years ago. 
And I've asked myself, you know, I wonder if I had just the confidence to listen to whatever that was. Maybe God would have already done what he wanted to do. But he kept coming. He gave, me, gave us another chance. So hopefully you'll listen to that voice and have confidence that God may be wanting you to help rebuild his church. I know he does for sure. My second point, what will it take for us to build? Or even another way, what would it take for us to stop building? Let's look over later on in Nehemiah 2 and verse 17. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. He says that again. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. This is when he makes the journey to Jerusalem. He's actually talking to the people who were there. He said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite Tobiah, the Amorite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, are, we his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And so what did it take for them to start rebuilding for God? It took trouble and disgrace and tragedy and humiliation and ridicule. Sometimes we don't turn to God until we get knocked down. Until our lives have been burned up. There's disgrace, there's humiliation. And that not everybody, some are really looking for truth. Others, they, they, they dream big and they get what they want and then they realize it wasn't everything they thought it was going to be. You know, I really don't know anything about this individual except that, man, his music is quite different speaking about Justin Bieber. I can't believe I'm mentioning Justin Bieber in a sermon. That's pretty miraculous. But we listened to his new album. And again, I don't know him from anybody. I don't know his life. But I just said, man, this guys he's got something. He's got some conviction to produce this Christian album in that field. And I'm sure he had to fight people about it, argue with people. Sydney's looking at Don't look at me like that, Sydney. Sydney knows about music, so I don't know if I'm doing a good thing right here, but you can. I'm giving it a good try, guys. <laughs> I was moved. I said, man, last time I knew this guy was dating Miley Cyrus and he's going on, you know, Selena Gomez and, you know, whatever he's doing. You can talk to me later, the young Everybody over 40 probably doesn't know what I just said, but but this guy's made a radical change. And all I could say is, man, God 
can reach anybody. It doesn't matter where you're at. God can pick you up. He, he may have to humble us a few, thousand, a few times to help us to realize that whatever it is we're doing doesn't work. But he wants us to build his kingdom. He wants us to be in step with him so that our lives glorify him, that we shine his light. Where we go, he goes. And it's not just that people hear us talking about God, but they see it. It shouldn't have to be that we always have to talk about it. They should just look at you and go, man, that's different. Why do people, why are you doing that? Because that's what Christ was all about. He served people. He loved people in such a way that people saw the difference. And that was the promise to us. They'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. On Wednesday night, we talked about passing the baton of faith with the guys and how our job is to pass the faith down to the next generation, to our friends, to those we're around, to our families. We may not get to do this great work like Nehemiah to rebuild the wall in 52 days. But what we can do is carry our faith to the very end of our lives. And pass it on to the next generation. That's what's been done for thousands of years. Someone with faith has passed it on and they finished their life in a way that glorified God. I don't know what our destiny is. But if we can pass that baton to the next generation, I know that's part of what God wants from all of us. What will it take for us to build or to stop building? It says that when he started Getting all these ideas, people were criticizing him. People were, you know, threatening him. And yet it did not stop his faith. How do we respond when someone comes to us with an idea, a faithful idea? Do we start thinking about all the reasons why that didn't work before when we tried it? Maybe we're the people that are hurting ourselves sometimes that we get, we're shooting down too many ideas instead of going, you know what, with God, that is possible. Let's not kill the faith of those around us because maybe we haven't been touched in the way that they have. Let us build God's kingdom. What will it take for you to build or stop building? Maybe you've stopped. You built for a while and you haven't been building You've been maintaining. You've been surviving. You haven't been passing it on the baton very well. Discouragement or distraction or pain or difficulty, whatever it may be, it's time to start building again. To not take a break. To not take time off from doing God's work. Amen? Amen. Point number three, build with vision. Build with vision. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can just kind of go through the motions. You know, we, we get up when the alarm goes off. Some of you, you go get your coffee, you sit down with your Bible, and you immediately punch the clock. I have 22 minutes before I got to go to work, before I got to do my next, get ready for work. And the whole time we're reading and we're looking in the Bible and then we're checking 15 minutes. You're reading and maybe you get through a few verses. Maybe you're, you're 
have to, you know, slap yourself to stay awake a little bit. And you, I got five minutes left. It's time to pray. And that can become our Christian life. And it's, amen. I, I'm all for it. When you're tired, still get time with God. You know, that's a great thing. But sometimes we can put so many of those times together that that becomes just this thing that we do. And you can insert any Christian thing, whether it's coming to church or giving or getting with other people, and it just can become, okay, we're, we're hanging out and we're sharing each other's lives, and oh, we got 30 minutes left. And that can be, you know, our Christian lives when we don't build with vision. You know, there were three workers. He asked one mason, what, what are you doing? He says, I'm, I'm putting bricks together. I'm mixing the mortar, and I'm getting the right mixture, and I'm putting bricks together, and I'm cleaning them off. And you can go to the next guy next to him. What are you doing? I'm, I'm getting a paycheck. I'm working my hours, and I'm supporting my family, and putting food on the table, and then you go to the third guy and say, what are you doing? I'm building a cathedral so that people can worship God. So that people can see in an earthly structure the awesomeness of God. They're all doing the same thing. Just one's doing it with vision. One's thinking about the, the bigger picture. What does God see? God sees an amazing church. He looks at you and he sees your gifts. He sees your, your love. He sees all the goodness that he's put into you. He says, he's, as we heard last week from Scott, he says he sees the bride of Christ. That he's proud of you. That he doesn't look around and see a bunch of people that have a lot of issues. He sees perfection. He's looking at the same thing we're looking at. He's just looking at it with Christ's vision. He's looking at it through forgiveness, through grace. And if you can just imagine for a second what kind of vision it took for Christ to be in the world that he was in and see perfection and see beauty and see all the things that he saw, what was he looking through? What kind of faith did he have? Let's look at Nehemiah 3. You can't look at Nehemiah without talking about all the families that were building different parts of the wall, and they're all building next to one another. And this is just a little snippet of what was happening. And I love this view, and even as we were camping, I thought about that because we're all pitching in and cooking meals for one another and helping people set up and doing all those things. And that's really what family does. That's what we do. As, as Christians, and that's what this church is all about. It says the valley gate was repair, repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. They built it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Malkaja, son of Rekeb, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim. He, re, he rebuilt it and put it on its doors with their bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalon, 
ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden. As far as the steps going down from the city of David, beyond him, Nehemiah, ruler of the half-district of beth made repairs up to the point opposite of the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. So a lot of details about people building bars and gates and putting bolts in place. And with the first uh, couple sections here, the valley gate, they were doing their job. They built it back. They put it together to specs. It, it worked. But then it says they repaired a thousand cubits of the wall. That's like 450 meters. That they didn't just do their job. I mean, they, they were inspired. That's a long way. That's a big wall. But they, they went above and beyond. It says here that the rule, one of the rulers was building the dung gate where they would bring out all the sewage and everything. What a humble guy. And many of you have probably heard that before, that they didn't send the lowest people to go build the dung gate. They sent one of the rulers to do that. Maybe this guy volunteered. Hey, I'll do that. No one wants to do that. I'll do that. And he did it with all of his might. Humility is inspiring, isn't it? When you see people that are willing to get in there with you and willing to do whatever it needs to be done, that they're not too good to, to do whatever God calls them to do. They're not getting other people to do the hard work. They're willing to do that themselves. And then it says that they... They repaired part of the wall by the pool of Siloam. And we know that from Jesus' day that that became this miraculous pool. They built, built it up by the king's garden. It wasn't just building a wall that they thought about the beauty that the people would enjoy, that the king would enjoy. The city of David, they had vision of, man, we're doing this, not just to build the city, but, man, we want to do something great. We want God's name to be lifted up as in the days of David where he was buried and kind of an honoring of the faith and heroes of the past. If we could look in the, when we read the heroes of faith and even Hebrews 11 to know that The Bible says that every one of us is even more heroic than all those amazing heroes because we have the Spirit of Christ. Because we have the new covenant. Because we have this covenant of of faith and closeness and confidence. And There's a fear of God, but there's a love and a connection that we're not servants. we're, We're friends and family of Christ. You know, my prayer is that when we build God's kingdom, that we don't just do the things we need to do and build it to quote-unquote specs, but we build something great. We let, our, we let God let us dream again and think about what, we're, what he's doing in the valley, what he's doing in our family, what he's doing with us. And maybe you don't feel that right now. That's okay. That's a good prayer. 
God, I want to be inspired. I don't want to just be a Christian. I want to build your church. I want to do something with vision. And when you read the Bible, you see that vision is not always the biggest, greatest, most impressive thing. When Jesus was going to heal the the synagogue rulers, I think it was son, he stopped and healed a poor lady that was bleeding. That was vision. Because he had vision for something that someone that no one else had vision for. It wasn't impressive. Sometimes we want to be impressive. We want even our church to have like a certain numbers or we want to whatever. Those weren't the things that impressed Jesus. When the guys walked around the temple, they said, man, look at this temple. It's so incredible. He said, that's nothing. A resurrected life, that's, that's something. When I'm raised from the dead, that, then you can be impressed. Let's not try to be like everyone else. Let's be like Christ. Let's find vision in the simple things that he can make into amazing things for God. So as we take our communion, let's think about having a little bit of faith that can move a mountain and being willing to pray a prayer maybe on something that disturbs you or something that is on your heart, something that bothers you. Take it to God. Look for a solution. Look for an answer. Be ready when someone asks you, what do you want? I pray that we're ready to see what God's going to do. Let's not start, let's not wait till things fall apart for us to start building. Let's not stop building because it gets difficult. And I pray that as we build God's church, that we build with the kind of vision that God wants us to have. Amen. So let's pray and we'll take our communion together and think about Christ, the ultimate builder. Father, we thank you so much for for Jesus. We thank you for the vision that he had for his church, for all of us, that we need each other, that we could do great things because of him, because of a little bit of faith. And we've seen that so many times. Every one of us in here has seen things happen that we didn't think could happen, that people said would never happen, and yet it did. People that we were told were going to die, and they lived. People that we thought would never change, and they changed. Things that we never thought would happen. But because of you, everything is possible. I pray that we can begin to build, God, that we won't look around and wait for other someone else, but really start in our own walk with you and Pray about and I pray you inspire us, God. Lead us, whether it's to a person, to a project, to, to wherever you want us to be, God, to be able to be used by you. And God, help us to live our lives knowing that we serve the creator of the universe. Knowing that Jesus is a personal friend of ours. That you care about us enough to, to give your very best. God, as we remember Jesus on the cross, thank you so much for your sacrifice and your vision for us. Thank you for the forgiveness that we can walk clean with you. And thank you for the sacrifice that he gave, that he was humble enough to leave paradise to come and be with us. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.